yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The Dubs made the adjustments. Clay Thompson got hot. Steph Curry did his thing. And Anthony Davis... Did what he does better than anyone. Great game, then disappears. Game three should be interesting as the Warriors tie up the series in the Western Conference semifinals with a convincing 127 to 100 win last night in San Francisco. Good morning. Welcome to this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. I am your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parsa III, better known as RP3. I'm joined inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by a man who hasn't met a quarter zip he doesn't like, the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow. Good morning, sir. Morning. How was the environment at Lamson Park last night for the final regular season home series against the mighty warhawks of funro it was good it was okay um i don't think it was any it wasn't like any type of uh special environment that lamson can provide but it was uh it was nice and they played well and it was kind of a worksman like i think kevin foot said in the post game uh you know just something like a business-like game um where you just kind of you know, you played well you didn't play great you pitched well you you played okay defense you made a couple of errors at the end there and you swung the bats good enough, not great. A couple of solo homers, a couple of manufactured runs, and uh, you beat a team that you're better than. You, you handled your business, right? It was a business trip. We'll talk more about that coming up on this edition of the show. We got three guests lined up for you this morning as well. James Yasko will join us. Maybe we'll do a deep dive into the English Premier League. With our guy, James, we know he loves soccer. Dawson loves the soccer. I know nothing of the soccer. Or we could just talk about the Houston Astros. We'll find out what happens at 7 o'clock. At 8 o'clock, Dylan Sanders will join us to talk all things LSU. Help us preview the weekend series at Auburn. And he can give his thoughts on spring football and where do the Tigers stand and Does he think they're in the running for a couple of Louisiana prospects that are officially in the NCAA transfer portal? Trey Amos of Catholic Hive New Iberia, formerly of the Cajuns, and Keon Coleman, formerly of Opelousas Catholic in Michigan State. And then at 8.30, we're going to talk all things Vermilion and White with our guy, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, Dan McDonald, as we'll talk baseball at ULM. Do they need a sweep? It feels like it. They do. And we'll get his thoughts about the softball team as well. And, of course, we'll take your phone calls. You know we love to hear from you. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We're going to start off with the NBA playoffs. 
Once again, not for sure why we'll only have one game again for the NBA playoffs. It's the conference semifinals, but I digress. This is exactly what we expected Golden State to do, to respond. After losing game one and letting Anthony Davis abuse them, they made the adjustments. Part of the adjustment was Klay Thompson actually making his shots. He was phenomenal, 30 points on 11 of 18 shooting. That's what we call efficient. That's efficient. And Golden State also made some adjustments. They took Jordan Poole out of the starting lineup for defensive purposes. Made a difference. And look, everyone was bagging on Poole for the shot that he had at the end of game one. He also made, what, like five three-pointers in that game? So if he didn't play the way he did for most of that game, they wouldn't even be in that game. But Kerr makes the adjustment because they needed to do something different with dealing with Anthony Davis. So they use the green boys into the starting lineup and had Wiggins out there as well with Steph and Clay. And it worked. They got the offensive production that they needed from Clay. Steph wasn't great. 7 to 12, 3 of 5 from three point range. He didn't take a ton of shots because Clay was the one that they were feeding the ball to. But the two guys still combined for 50 points, and all five starters for Golden State scored in double digits. So that played a big role in what they were able to do last night. But defensively, they threw some different looks and frustrated Anthony Davis, and he wasn't good. Like, this is the thing. We've talked about this a bunch on this show. He had a 30-20 and 20 game in game one, right? That... That's, that's, a, that's a type of legendary performance that you have where you take over a game, you dominate your opponent. And that's what AD did in game one. My man was 5'11 from the field. He only had seven rebounds in 11 points. Foot actually joked about like you know this trend and how you know he was probably on pace to have like twelve and five this game and like he was almost spot on. This I mean, is what crazy. he does. It's it's amazing. They showed the graphic last night during the game. And they're like, hey, one game, next game, all the way down. Yeah, and up, I down, I was willing up, to think it was pretty circumstantial and coincidental to this point, even though there was a kind of enough of a trend. But last night it just kind of solidifies it. It's 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 crazy. And the Lakers. I said it before, the Lakers are going to go as far as AD is able to take them. Uh, LeBron's at the point of his career where he gave you 23 points last night on 10 of 18 shooting, got a couple three-pointers, had seven rebounds, three assists. His age, and more importantly, the wear and tear, the amount of extra games on that body, we're to the point now where he's not going to be able to dominate for 35 minutes. It's just not going to happen. So LeBron gave you what he can give you at this point in his career on a consistent basis because he can still consistently give you like 22, 23 points. 
That's why I said the Lakers are going to go as far as AD can take them. And what happened last night? He was bad. Well, we got a continuation of the of the ridiculous trend in the NBA playoffs in which a team that's the higher seed and maybe is the overall favorite in the series loses game one and then just absolutely blows the doors off of that opponent in game two. Uh, yes. We saw that happen with Milwaukee. We've it's It's been weird how many times it's happened. You saw, you saw that with Boston and Philly. Right. And so now that's it's gone a couple of different ways the first few times it's happened. We saw Milwaukee look great in game two and then never win another game in the series. So... We'll see. I will say this. It's early in the series for me to for, for me to say this, but it is something I think to to monitor moving forward. Let's remember the Lakers had to exert a ton of energy down the stretch to get to this point. They had to dig themselves out of a big hole after they made the trades. They had to play every game like it was a must win game for the last It was month a play in tournament, right. It was a play in tournament every night. Golden State again, we talked about how much like does do they care? As long as they're the sixth seed, do they really care where they end up? And Golden State had the opportunity to, you know, take their foot off the gas at different points of the year. So it's game two. We'll see. But keep that in mind as this series, if this series goes to five, six, seven games, start to think about how fresh these two teams may be. You might have an edge to Golden State in that situation. Which is funny because you would give the edge to them, but then any playoff series after that, that you're not going to give the edge to Golden State because they will be the oldest team by a country mile. Like the only team that's older that's got older stars on on the roster is LA. Yeah, and that adjustment also so Poole actually didn't start game 1, but it was Kevon Looney. Now Poole kind of plays starters minutes, but Kevon Looney Correct. started and they that was an adjustment too is is pl- start to Michael Green over Kevon Looney. Mm-hmm. And you know, you figure I don't know how much of it has that much to do with it because guys still played similar numbers of minutes, but whatever you did defensively on Anthony Davis, you have to try to repeat it. But again, Apparently, you're going to play a different guy in, in the third game. So, and they'll be back at, work? And they'll be back at L.A. And the thing that concerns me about Golden State, I still like them to win this series. They're possibly the worst team in the NBA in the road. But they get exercised some of those demons by winning Game 7 in Sacramento as they, well. But that's one game. And that's against Sacramento with a lineup of guys that hadn't been there before. LeBron's been there before a lot so that's the only thing that gives me a little pause is that I still like Golden State to win this series because LeBron is on the well LeBron's old in NBA terms and once again you can't rely on Anthony Davis to be great back-to-back games like you just can't so He's going to be great. We expect him to be great in game three. But the Lakers have got to do something about their defense. They gave up 41 points in the second quarter and then turned around and gave up 43 in the third. Like, I I get that we don't play as much NBA nowadays, but uh, defense in the NBA nowadays, but come on, man. That was, ugh. It was gross. Just gross. I also think moving forward, Golden State, as well as they played last night, they have also appeared to me in this in these playoffs as tired as well. And, and once again, we we forget this. Don't forget, like Golden State won the title last year, which means they have all that mileage for that deep, long playoff run that didn't end until June last year. 
LeBron has all those finals appearances and all the wear and tear on the body. It matters. It does. We talk about it in hockey a lot, but it's just just as relevant in the NBA. Yeah, I don't know if we talk about it in hockey, but people who talk about hockey talk about it in hockey. Oh, there but, it is. Uh, there, there, it is 614. <laughs> he's already got his shot in. There yeah, uh, it is. Well, I mean, that was a shot at myself, too. But I will say the thing about Golden State, to your, to your point, but when they've needed an extra gear so far in these playoffs, they've still been able to find it, yes. that, which has been impressive. Now, you figure as the opponents get better and the playoffs get deeper in, it's, it's going to be more difficult. You're going to have to play better at a more consistent level. You can't just give games away. But I will say also... Last night, it felt like once the Lakers were really down in that game, I, there wasn't like a ton of sense of urgency. It almost felt like AD and LeBron, hey, we lost this one, but it's one game. We'll and try and get them back in L.A. We already took a game on the road. And yeah. we talked about this already with some of the other playoff series as well, didn't we? Oh, we already got the split. We're it's, Tonight's not our night. We're just going to throttle down, so to speak, and get prepared for game three. You saw it last night, too. Right, we've seen it now a couple of times in these playoffs. Old school NBA guy hates that. I'll raise my hand because I'm grew up with Larry and Magic and Michael. I, I get it, but this is this is the way it's done now, and they'll never admit that they just kind of shut it down once the game gets out of hand. But you're kind of seeing that, right? Because they're playing the percentages here. They're going, hey. We only were supposed to get a split here. We did our job. We came into their house and we won a game. Let's just rest up and get ready to win game three at our place. That's what they do now. I'll be interested to see how the Lakers respond in game three. Because if Golden State goes into... It's not the forum. I want to call it the forum because I'm old. It's not even the Staples Center it's anymore. The crypto.com arena. There it is. That, that that rolls right off the tongue. If Golden State can go in there and win game three, it's going to be a short series. Just will be. Because if Golden State, who's been terrible on the road, if they can go in there and game three, which you expect, it's going to be loud. Jack Nicholson will be on courtside. All the celebrities will be there. They'll have the energy. You expect AD to play better. If Golden State can go in there and sneak game three, that's going to be a shorter series than anticipated. More NBA playoffs tonight as they will allow this thing to go on and on and on and on and on. I just, why not? Why not have two games last night? I just don't understand, man. Will the finals start by Thanksgiving? Do we know if that'll be (laughs) going on yet or not? What are we doing? What are we doing? We have two games tonight. Celtics 76ers game three in the Eastern Conference semifinals. That series is now back in Philly. How healthy will Embiid be? And which Boston Celtics team will show up in that series? You never do know. And then Nuggets, Suns, desperation time for Phoenix. Denver's up two games to none. Can Phoenix get their act together and win a game back there in the desert? We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. Raging Cajun softball clinched yet another regular season title. We'll talk about that next right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yeah, you know, it took some grit. It was a lot of young players on teams, so to go through that grind where you're playing all those really good teams in your out-of-conference schedule and not lose your confidence, don't lose your grit early in the year, don't lose your fight, don't, 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 don't allow it to affect you mentally. I think it says a lot about our kids and our ball club. And I feel like we just got tougher and tougher mentally throughout the year. And I think we're seeing, you know, Matty Hayden's RBI machine this week. And I think we're seeing some of our young players really get back and really going right here at the right time. Louisiana Raging Cajun softball coach Jerry Glasgow following his team's 5-1 win over Yule Monroe last night at Lamson Park. The win locks up another regular season championship for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Senior Megan Shoreman was dominant as she held ULM to just one run. And the Cajuns, well, they scored in four separate innings and were methodical as they wrap up the regular season title and they'll look to win yet another Sunbelt Conference Series tonight that would extend their own record as they gear up now for the conference tournament that will be held at Lamson Park next week. D'Lo, you were there, obviously, covering the game. Give us your thoughts. Yeah, just just methodical, like you said. I mean, it was not a uh, not a dominant performance, but certainly did what you had to do. Um, and Yul Monroe's not – they're not – as bad in good. softball as they are in other sports, but they're not very good either. Yeah, seven and fourteen coming in in Sunbelt play, um, but not like an RPI two hundred plus team or anything like that. So, you know, overall they played well enough to win. I, I think you'd like to see them swing the bats a little better throughout the rest of the series, which I would expect that to happen. You all Monroe threw a starting pitcher who hasn't pitched a ton, but had pretty good numbers. So, kind of a bit of an unknown there. Um, but, like, you still have the, the thing with the bats in the middle of this lineup. Piscus and Lauren Allred both hit solo homers to the deepest part of the ballpark. And those two have been really swinging it well. Laney Crater didn't even start last night, but you'd expect to see her in the lineup today. And she's been swinging it well. Um, we've seen Coach Glasgow trade some offense for some defense here by Jordan Campbell still being out in left field. and But then kind of making a sacrifice there where he has Sissy Vasquez play second base. She had a big double last night, but of course she's really struggled to swing the bat throughout the year. Um, so the biggest question that Foot and I were talking about is is where does he where where is he willing to give some offense for some defense at certain points uh, and positions as we head into the postseason? Um, because Stormy Katselnik's not playing right now, and I think part of that's because she wasn't swinging it as well as she has in the past, and her defense just maybe quite isn't what they want it to be. So for that reason, they'll play Sissy Vasquez more. So. That's going to be something that's interesting to see for me over the last couple of games here and then into the Sunbelt Tournament next week. I also think, you know, to, to go on Jerry says, I think the schedule does prepare you to deal with adversity. I think it's made this team better, The his approach to the, the schedule this year, where it was a very challenging, difficult schedule. Some services have it as the fourth or fifth toughest schedule in the country. You play the likes of UCLA, you play Florida, you play LSU. Uh, look, they, they played a gauntlet 
and they did so early and it made the team better. My my thing always with the Raging Cajun softball team is this. And Jerry tries his best. The problem for them is this. They play that tough non-conference schedule and thankfully Jerry tried to combat what I'm about to say this year by sneaking in a Texas A&M and Baylor game in the middle of conference schedule. They don't play really anyone in conference play that really truly tests them. So the problem for the Cajuns has traditionally been, and Jerry's tried his best to fix this, is you play these tough non-conference games And then you go through a conference schedule, which, once again, they haven't lost a series since when? What year was it? Um, I was was a young high school, middle school student, I believe. Because the Cajuns are a far better program than anyone else in their conference. So what happens is that that's why Jerry and people are like, why are you why are you playing Texas A&M and Baylor in the middle of conference play? You know why they play Texas A&M and Baylor? Because Jerry knows once this team gets to a regional or hopefully a super regional, that's the level of competition you're going to face. They're not going to get tested by facing ULM. Period. I would walk back I, or I would I would counter your argument a little bit with that that and and agree with you that that's been the case in the past. Um, but the Sunbelt Conference, statistically, numbers-wise, is a lot better than it's ever been. Uh, in conference play, they've had six Sunbelt opponents other than the Cajuns that are top 100 in RPI. Five of those are in the top 66. And nobody in the conference has an RPI worse than 200. Nobody's in the 200-plus range that is your lowest quadrant games. Are you going to play someone in the range of 50 to 66 in a Super Regional? Uh, you'll play them in a Regional, maybe not a Super. But not in a Super. Right, the but they goal- already... They the already goal played those teams. is it feels like you're making an excuse for the Sunbelt Conference. Well, once again, no, I'm not, I think the I'm conference not, is better. That's... I'm, I'm not blaming, but it's not where it needs to be. Jerry Glasgow wants his program, plain and simple, to be on the level with LSU, to be on the level with UCLA, to be on the level with those the biggest, best teams in the country, the ones that go to go to Oklahoma City year in year out. That's what he wants. He's not getting any help by the Sunbelt Conference. I understand they may be top 75 in RPI. That's great. App State, ULM, all those, they're not on that level. The Cajuns are closer to be on that level. So he tries to get his team to be on that level. That's why he scheduled the A&M Baylor games, midweek games, in the middle of conference play so his team could be tested yet again because he goes months without his team being tested. Again, though, I'll, I'll compare it to Gonzaga in, in college basketball. We get this all the time. And for years, it's always been the West Coast Conference is terrible. Well, the West Coast Conference is terrible. Gonzaga dominates it. Why are they in that conference? They need to go somewhere else. First of all, I didn't say they were terrible. That's no, not the I, word I, I, I used. I'm, I'm, saying, I'm talking about the West Coast Conference. And now the West Coast Conference has quietly become a pretty good league in the past few years. Two, three-bid league at times. The Sun Belt's going to get two, three, maybe four teams in the Sun Belt, in, in the NCAA regionals this year with Texas State's RPI sitting at 42. You feel good about them, maybe South Alabama and even Troy. So my point is I just think I'm not saying it's, it's, it's the SEC or it's the Big 12 as far as softball is concerned, 
but it's closed the gap significantly in the last two years with all these additions. So I think they're a little bit more tested this year than they than they have been in years past when they played RPI 100, 245 ranked teams multiple times throughout conference play. Okay. You and I just aren't going to see eye to eye on this because making an improvement between being 200 RPI into 80 is not nearly enough. Not where Jerry wants this program to be. Jerry Glasgow wants this program to be in Oklahoma City every year. Playing the quality teams they play in the Sun Belt does not help them. Just doesn't. Just doesn't. If it did, and Jerry had the confidence that it did, he wouldn't be scheduling Texas A&M and Baylor in the middle of conference play. Period. Period. Because you'd be like, well, I got quality, I got great competition that's going to help me. This is the man who's in charge of the Louisiana Raging Cajun softball program telling you that he doesn't believe that the conference is good enough to test his team to get to the ultimate goal. Because if he did have that confidence, he wouldn't be scheduling those games. Right, and I'm just saying that the evolution of that is taking place as as things are happening right now. I think it's better than he thought it was, And but he has also called out teams like Marshall who went 40-9 and nine this year and said, yeah, but they need to schedule better. Because Correct. our league is getting better, and they need to act like And it. you have too many teams in the league, and Marshall's a good example of this, that don't take the Jerry approach. Jerry, from jump, by the way, and credit him from jump, that was one of the things that he did, because Jerry came from where? Texas A&M and Georgia. He went to the College World Series as his assistant coach. Jerry came in and said, we got to schedule tough. We have to schedule tough. And he did that, and he did that this year, and I think that's going to help them, even though they lost those games at A&M and Baylor. Those are teams that are ranked, what, in the top 25 in the RPI? You could face those teams. Heck, they could even host one of those teams in a regional. It looks like, for me, I think the Cajuns are going to host a regional. And I think they'll have a good chance of winning said regional. Now, they've won the regular season title for the fourth straight year. Obviously, COVID never happened, right? So that was an issue there. But another regular season title for Jerry Glasgow. What does it mean to the skipper of the Cajun softball team? It means we're still champions, you know, and... uh... I've still got Kevin's article where it said the UL dominance is over. I've got it on my wall. I'm going to take it down one of these days. So I like to look up there and see it, and which that means our dominance is not over. We've won four in a row. and You know, I, I asked today, what's the record? We're using that to motivate us. Six, I think, is the record. So we got two more years to go to get that record, and hopefully we can. I don't remember Kevin writing this. It must have been a yeah, column. I'm not sure if he wrote that or not, but we'll ask him <laughs> later today. We'll ask Kevin if, or if Jerry was just having good fun. Yeah, Jerry Jerry likes to have a little fun, but look, uh, they get the they'll try to go ahead. Look, they're going to be looking for a sweep. I don't see anyone really testing them in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Now, I felt the same way a couple years ago. When was that? Summer was on the team I and think they Coastal lost at home. Them. Was it Coastal? Yeah. That it was, was year they hosted the conference tournament and they, and, and they lost. Yeah, right? the, yeah. The thing I would say about that is I do think they're, you know, they should win that, but every team they play in the regional is going to have much, a much higher sense of desperation than they are. And, 
you know, maybe Texas State feels like they're going to be in regardless, but everybody's going to pretty much need to beat UL Looking to, to boost the resume. Yeah. Yeah. So. so it should be a good conference tournament, to say the least, and Lampson Park's always a great environment. Our guy Ralph, quote, they're not as bad in softball as other sports. Second D-Lo shot fired at 624 a.m. Cinco D-Lo. D-Lo. <laughs> a man salty this morning. Coming at me about the Sunbelt Conference softball. Whew, it's not even 6.30 yet. I mean, this Everyone man is... needs to just prepare themselves for college football season because I uh, I will be on some on some tirades, on some rants. I guess tirades isn't the right word. Oh. Specifically around group of five and like the disrespect there. It's, it'll be fun. It will be fun. I mean, you'll be wrong, but it'll be fun. It'll be fun to see you be wrong and listen to you be wrong. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, more D'Lo given hot fire, spitting the hot fire. Tampa Bay Rays infielder causes a stir with the defensive play. Is it a big deal or not a big deal? D'Lo and I will discuss that next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Tampa Bay Rays have been playing some good baseball. Great Uh, baseball. Yeah, they've been winning some games. Um, A lot of games. But they did something a couple of days ago on a ground ball to shortstop that has shaken the foundation (laughs) of the game itself. Uh, And that was, in case you haven't seen, Wander Franco. Very good baseball player, by the way. one of the best young infielders potentially in the game if he continues to progress the way we expect him to. Uh, he fielded a ground ball and then he kind of uh, he kind of lost the handle of it, kind of spun it back to himself. He didn't lose the handle of it. He flipped it um, egregiously on purpose, um, and then took it and then fired a ball probably like ninety to ninety-five miles an hour over to first base for the out. Okay. Apparently that's uh, not okay in the eyes of some. It was awesome in the eyes of others. And I land somewhere in the middle. I don't really care that much, but I did think it was worth mentioning just how much it just always goes to amaze me. We've seen it with crawfish in the in the state of Louisiana this week as well. Like how much people care sometimes about things that really don't matter. Really all. don't matter. Um, so I had a couple of different perspectives on it. Number one. Um, and by the way, so that that's what happened. Essentially, ground ball hit to him. He kind of took it. He flipped the ball back up into the air and then caught it out of the air just to basically show off. I said, essentially, I guess was it was what you'd say there. Yes, this was a game against the Pirates. Yes, a very good team as well. Yes, surprisingly good team. He made the out. Obviously, if 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 he throws that ball away, there's a bigger, different conversation being had, and I think it would be warranted. Uh, but to be honest, it's the same situation, in my opinion, when a guy hits a bat, you know, does a bat flip that which people have gone crazy about. And, you know, I, I there was two perspectives on it. Number one, I know my high school baseball coach and um, I've mentioned him on this show once or twice. Oh, here it is. Great guy. Um, but if I did that, on no, high go, sc- go, go, go ahead and mention him by name. Give him the full shout out here. That's OK. 
No, 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 no. All right, Coach Steve Strapolo. There we go. Still coaching the Haynes Yellow Jackets. There it is. There it is. If I did what Wander Franco did when I was playing third base for the Yellow Jackets in 2017. You'd be running. I would have been taken off the field, and I don't know the next time I would have played. And you'd be running in practice. Yes. Now, he's a bit of an old school coach. And so, like, I understood that, and and I wouldn't have done something like that. Um, But I think there's a lot of coaches around that probably wouldn't care that much. And I just think it's really interesting how much people, this is like a a factor. And, like, again, is this something that's going to make more people watch baseball? I don't know if that many people said, wow, look at what Wander Franco did. I'm going to watch the race tonight. But I think this type of excitement and overall kind of like, these guys are the best in the world. So I'm okay with it in that regard, like the, it, them showing off. Again, hitting a bat flip when you hit a home run. Um, now, should it be done at the college level and the high school level and the little league level? No, and I'm sure it will be because we see it a lot of times with the NBA players and some of the stuff they do with the you know three-point celebrations. We see it in NFL players and touchdown dances and things like that. I think those things are kind of reserved. And I, I like the logic of, well, if you're good enough to get to the big leagues or you're good enough to get to the NFL, then you can go ahead and show off, right? But until then, you shouldn't do it like that. You should have a little bit more respect for your teammates and those around you. Um, but overall, I just thought the the reaction to it was just overblown and just kind of kind of insane. A, a few things. It's hard to stop the younger kids in college and high school and Little League from not doing the things they see in the pros do. So that's part of some of the old school frustration is you're setting an example that the younger generation think is okay. And so that's part of the frustration. Um, personally, I don't care. Like, like I learned this a long time ago. And not everyone takes this same approach to things. If it really doesn't impact me personally, whether it's with my team or something like that, I'm not going to be emotionally invested and go through the fake outrage that we see people or knee-jerk outrage that we see on social media these days where people lose their minds about crawfish or about a baseball player with a bat flip or an NBA player that stares down the guy after hitting a three-pointer or a touchdown celebrate. Like, I don't care. Like, I have more important things to worry about in my life then rather or not a Tampa Bay Rays don't call us Devil Rays unless we wear the alternate uniform early in the season. Infielder does a play like that. Like, first of all, it got him on Sports Center. It got him a lot of pub. Right. We're working on a couple of generations where guys were always obsessed with making it on to top ten plays. We celebrated that. We cheered that on. And now we're surprised that guys try to do things that gets them into the top 10 plays, that they do cocky things, that they do things that are going to get them more love on television or on social media. Don't be surprised, first of all. Second of all, <clears throat> is that shortstop doing what he did or infielder doing what he did, does that really impact you? Like, like, because I'm going to be real. I'm a father of an eight-year-old daughter. I'm a husband. I have a show. I run the station. 
I'm involved in my church. We're getting way deeper into this than I thought we would. I have all this other stuff. I have family members to take care of. I have a, a slew of other things that are far more important than some guy showing off by throwing somebody out at first base. Like, so th- that's my bigger point of all this fake outrage all the time. Like, it's all the, it's, it's all the time. Oh, let's be outrageous. Let, let's be outraged by something today. Really? Really? Like, guys, the country and the world has far bigger problems than an infielder showing off, throwing out a, a runner at first base in a midweek game in the month of May. Like, come on. Well, come and, and back to the baseball side of it, if he throws the ball away, he'll probably never do it again. And then, um, and then he'll be in infamy for being that dweeb that did yeah, that. Yeah, so, I mean, he's taking that risk. Again, I don't I don't know if you're going to see him do this again or not, um, but I just felt like, yeah, I, I think that was a good message there. The outrage kind of doesn't match what was actually taking place on the field, but uh, the Rays are a fun team, so we'll see uh, if, this, if this has another chapter to it anytime soon. And also, the flip side to that is, if you're going to show off, just know you put a target on your back. That's the other part of that, right? It's like the classic uh, was a Swaggy P shot where he turns around and has his hands in the air and the ball rolls out and the camera angle is just perfect that captured that moment. Like, that's what you have to avoid, right? That's you have to avoid being Swaggy P. Yes. Which is a good, probably a good thing in all facets of life. If you're going to be bold enough to go out there and be a showboat and show off and do all those things, then you better deliver because you do that, you put a target on your back, and guess what else you do? You put a target on your team's back. Just ask the Memphis Grizzlies how the, how that's worked out for them. Right? Talk a lot of trash. They put the target on their back, and they didn't get out of the first round. I believe the phrase was under no circumstances regarding a certain player they may or may not bring back. Well, like the day after they were eliminated. It's like, whoa. Oh, Memphis. It kind of feels like they need to reset a little bit. They got to do something there. Got to take a timeout. When we return, poll question of the day will be unveiled. We'll get to some of your early comments and we'll wrap up hour number one. That's all next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on Matt to the show. Matt, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Good morning. Hey, I've got one thing to say about the kid with the Rays doing his thing. Nobody said anything when Dottie Henson did a split catching a flare <laughs> foul ball down the first baseline for the Peaches. Everybody cheered. That's all I've got to say oh, about that. I like that. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> By the way, I love love a league of their own by the way phenomenal movie 
one of the best baseball movies ever made. Also, before anyone else, you know, makes a remark, and shout out for Matt for that. Sometimes this gets framed, all these young punks, and they're so disrespectful. Uh, Babe Ruth called his shot in a World Series. That happened, I do believe, 100 years ago. And that was in baseball. So, you've always, Reggie Jackson was braggadocious. Ricky Henderson was braggadocious and showman and put the spotlight on themselves. So, this isn't a young Gen Z issue here. I'll go ahead and just say that as the 44-year-old man who will be 45 this year. Guys with those types of personalities that want the star to be shine brightly on them and do things that show off. By the way, Dawson, that's been part of sports for um, ever. Just to throw it out there. <laughs> just, just saying. So as, as mad as you want to get at the modern athlete for showing off and doing stuff, uh, they did it in your generation too. Uh, not all of them, but there's always been guys that have showed off. Whether it's been wide receivers in the NFL, whether it's been NBA players, you know, mo- making choke signs like Reggie Miller did to the Knicks back in the '90s, it's 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 always been there, always has. We got to take a timeout. Poll question of the day before we go, though: Who is now the favorite in the NBA playoffs right now? Forty-four percent of you say the Denver Nuggets. 39% say the Boston Celtics. 17% say other. No votes yet for the Philadelphia 76ers. So keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Who is now the favorite in the NBA playoffs now that we got a couple of games in to the conference semifinals? Go vote and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two, we'll continue the baseball talk. Talk Astros with our guy James Yasko of the Lima Time Time podcast. That's coming up next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number two has arrived here in RP3 and company. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Now that we're a couple of games into the conference semifinals for the NBA playoffs, who do you like? Who do you believe is now the favorite in the NBA playoffs? Is it the Denver Nuggets? Is it the Boston Celtics, Philadelphia 76ers, or someone else? Keep those votes coming keep those comments coming as well you can leave them on facebook or twitter we're flexible that's what we do here on rp3 and company also coming up this hour we'll preview lsu auburn baseball we'll hear from jay johnson that's coming up 
And, of course, we'll take more of your phone calls. Game hotline is always open, 337-706-0111. But right now it's time for us to talk Houston Astros baseball and maybe some English Premier League soccer and why everyone is wanting to buy into European soccer teams. Uh, is this the Ryan Reynolds effect? We'll do a deep dive on all of that with our buddy from the Lima Time Time Podcast, James Yasko. James, good morning. How are you? Hey, one the one very quick way to make sure that I pay attention to SEC baseball is to make it like the 1919 Chicago White Sox. Like, well done. <laughs> I did not see that plot twist coming in 2023. <laughs> The man, so the man from Alabama. It's just it's been it's been a rough five months for uh, Crimson Tide Athletics. Uh, so it has not been good. It's not been good. Uh, athletic di- uh, director needs to take a good hard look in the mirror and go on. Am I making the right choices here with the people I'm hiring? So how do you how do you how do you like how do you as a as a as a professional? This is what you do. You think I know that people have frowned upon this. Uh, for over a hundred years, but I think I can get away with it. <laughs> so not only that, James, not only that, the, my favorite part of the story is this. So the man, first of all, no one bets on college baseball. So anytime, <laughs> if, you are, if you do, you're a degenerate. You right. like seek help. So all of a sudden there's a bet of like a $5,000 bet on the LSU Alabama game in game one. And that, that sounds the alarm bells by the bookmaker go, um, who's dropping that type of cash? And then there was another bet that was part of a larger parlay also involving the LSU-Alabama game. And our guy, the skipper for the Crimson Tide, is like, hold up. I'm going to scratch my best pitcher, my ace, from the start. And then apparently there's evidence of him giving the information or helping place the bet to the guy who of all places goes to the Cincinnati Reds ballpark to place the bet. Uh, it's incredible. Well it's, done, just, it's just, it's just, it's just, oh, it just means more. It just means more in so many more ways than one. Roll Tide. Oh, oh man. All right. So let's talk about the Houston Astros and where they stand right now. A, they had a great three game, had a great three series in a row. Took two or three from Toronto, swept my Atlanta Braves, then won two of three against the Tampa Bay Rays, shut them out in back to back games. But then they lose two of three to Philly, and then they lose two or three to an even worse team in the Giants. Yep. It's early, I understand that, and injuries have played a role. But overall, to this point of the season, what's kind of stood out to you of what's missing? Is it? driving in runs is that the thing that really stands out the most to you right right now it's just it's just hitting I, I, it's like the Astros shut out the Rays and and thought we can do that we can get shut out like we don't we, we can not hit that, that, that's fine uh you know in the in the last nine games you know Jordan is the only he is like a 312 average uh Pena is hitting like 286 everyone else is hitting in the 100s or worse and that includes Kyle Tucker and that includes Alex Bregman it's just one of those stretches where, you know, and, and I wonder how much of it is, you know, I don't remember the last time the Astros played the Giants, uh, and Dee Sclafani's a pretty good pitcher. Um, you know, they, they weren't terribly high-scoring games. Uh, how much of it is you're seeing this pitcher for the first time and, and maybe ever, or, or it's been a few years? So th- there, there's an element of everyone's just sort of slumping a little bit, 
And and it, it could be it's just the haven't seen these guys in a while. The positives though, Dubon's been playing so well, but it seems like Jeremy Pena is starting to figure things out, and even Alex Bregman to a, a certain degree as well. So you do have that, and, and Alvarez has been very good. But it doesn't seem like they consistently with the hitting as well, right? It, we, we have these stretches where they struggle with runners in scoring position. At least it feels that way when you watch the game. Like mm-hmm. they'll get a single here or get a double here, but then they'll do it when no one's on base, right? right. So um, I think that's a big part of it as well. And to be fair, right? There's no McCormick in the lineup. There's no Altuve in the lineup. There's no Michael Brantley in the lineup. So they're missing key players, starters, in that starting lineup. Yeah, and we, I mean, I remember when right before opening day, when, when, when we were talking about, you know, what to expect in the early part of the season, you know, we said, like, being 500 until you get Brantley and Altuve back, that, that, that's probably what you can expect, and, and that's about what has happened. Uh, when you take, and I, <clears throat> it, it just shows kind of what a monster postseason Chaz McCormick had that, that we're lumping McCormick in with, with Altuve and with Brantley, but, but even McCormick aside, you know, that's, that's two very consistent bats at the, at the top of your lineup that you just don't have. I don't know how many teams could, could be expected to be 25 and seven when you don't have Jose Altuve and Michael Brantley. Like, I think this is that, yeah, this is kind of what, what we should have expected and and should have had in mind as as a definite possibility. How concerned are you about Abreu? Uh, it would be real nice for him to hit a home run. To me, I almost I almost started talking about. I, was, I almost did it again. Like, Brian Abreu's <laughs> been fine. Um, no, uh, it's it is concerning. Um, but you know, he he sort of has a has a history of being a little bit streaky. Um, you know, I, I feel like he's gonna, he's one of those guys that he's going to hit homers in buckets. And once that first one comes, uh, then you're going to look up and he's going to have he's going to have ten pretty quickly. So um, he just needs to, you know, I, I sort of agree with the Astros' approach of just let him figure it out. He's been doing this a long time. Um, you're not going to go in there and try to tweak 37 year old Jose Abreu's swing. Uh, just show him film, let him work on his mechanics, and and let him figure it out. Yeah, because you're paying him a lot of money just to hit hard hit balls to the shortstop. So, yeah, you you, you kind of need him to uh, to step it up. And look, Astro fans are, are a little upset about it because they're they're seeing what Yuli's doing for the Marlins. And look, I, I tell them Yuli's not going to do that the whole season, right? Uh, so, I, I think that's part of it. It's early. It's only May fifth, so still plenty of time to to figure things out in that regard. When can we expect to see Michael Brantley in the lineup, do you believe? I think it's going to be within the next week. You know, I, I think, you know, it could be on the next homestand. You know, they're in Seattle. Um, you know, there's not much, not that there's not much of a point, but you don't you don't want to do that to, um, to, to have him play his first game in almost a year, uh, you know, on the road uh, on a weekend. So I think once when, when the Astros come back uh, from this little road trip, I, I think there's a strong possibility that Brantley's in the lineup. We're talking with James Yasko. He's the co-host of the Lima Time Time podcast. He's also a molder of young minds and so much more. Also contributor to the Houston Chronicle. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. The pitching staff. Uh, look, Astro fans are upset because they have three of their starting pitchers on the IL. 
it's not, not ideal. Yeah, yeah, it's not optimal. But we were talking about this team even with losing Verlander. Valdez was going to be the ace, and they had plenty of pitching. Like we were having conversations of where are they going to put all this starting pitching because they could go with a six-man rotation. And then now people are like, well, they should have addressed it during the thing. And my point is this. If they have issues with their starting pitching, if Garcia or Urquidy is going to be out longer or we you never get Lance McCullers Jr. back, or when you do get him back, he'll get injured again because he tends to do that. Yep. This is a front office, and this is a franchise that has shown you over and over again that they will go make a deal at the deadline. Yeah. Right? And, I mean, know, the, the, if, if, if the starting pitching isn't right by the trade deadline, which is at the end of July, and they still have guys that are nicked up and banged up or they're just not performing, like Arkady wasn't good before he even got hurt, then you know what Jim Crane's going to do? He's going to tell his new GM, go find me a starting pitcher. That's what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. I mean, you know, we it, after <clears> – <throat> It didn't feel like a terribly stable front office under under Jeff Luno, but but when you kind of look back and think about it, yeah, it, it, it was like I mean he was there for for seven eight years, not a whole lot of turnover, uh, had a had a history of of making moves, and Jim Crane certainly does as well. Um, you know James Click, you know never really got a feel for what what he could do. Dana Brown, we're still figuring that out, but the constant is Jim Crane, and what Jim Crane wants more than anything else is to is to win another World Series. So I think it's going to get addressed. The Astros did call up JP France from Sugarland today. Yes, um, and and so you know, he's a he's sort of another one of those kind of Astros pitching prospects. You know, he's like twenty six strikeouts in nineteen and a third innings with a sub three ERA for Sugarland. Like that's that's a pretty good sign. Um, so that's that's sort of being addressed, and and you just sort of figure it out, and you you get you sort of get across the line to the trade deadline. If there's a glaring issue, it's going it's going to be addressed. And and that's my point is that they've done this before with Verlander or Cole or Grinky. Anytime right. they feel like they need to go get a starting pitcher, they just do. It, it, no matter how good the young guys are. And look, this is a franchise. If Arkady doesn't get his act together, there's there was rumors of them trading him last year, and he right. has all that World Series experience. They don't care if they can go get their team to get, if they can get their team better. And that means giving up Jose Arkady. Guess what they're going to do? Yeah. They're going to make their team better. So this is what they do. All that said, you have the injuries to the pitching staff. It's still early in the season. Anything, though, for you kind of stands out, obviously the hitting, but anything that gives you pause that maybe this team is a little bit more flawed than you thought they were going to be? I don't I don't know that that. I I mean, yes, the Astros. I mean, you don't you don't want to miss Michael Brantley and Jose Altuve or Lance McCullers for a quarter of the season. Like that's 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 no one goes into the season with that with that plan. Like that's plan A. Correct. Um, it's not optimal. But and I know that that basically they've been they've been doing this based on playing the the a rotation of the A's and Royals for the entire season. But the, the Rangers are better than I think a lot of people thought they would be. Um, we'll see what happens when they, you know, the, the Astros schedule hasn't been easy. They're still, they're still hovering just a little bit above 500. Um, but you know, aside from, aside from Oakland, like the angels are a little bit better. The Rangers are a lot better. Uh, and so it's, it's not going to be a cakewalk. You know, you just sort of, 
you know, wait till September 1st and you can go ahead and, and print division, division champs, you know, shirts. Uh, it, it, this is going to be a little bit more of a fight than I think Astros fans have the mental capacity for. All right, bud, let's get some English Premier League soccer talk in, seriously. So, yes. So, okay, I, I, Dawson, who understands soccer, my new producer extraordinaire. Love that guy. Hey, uh, what's not to love? First of all, he uh, there isn't a quarter zip my man does not feel like he can rock. He has that type of confidence. I do not, but he does. <laughs> so he kind of explained this thing to me about this happens every year where a team can come up or come down, right? Yeah. Based on yeah. is it strictly based on wins and losses? Yeah, it's, it's, so it's based on points. <clears throat> so you get three wins, uh, three points for a win, and one point for a tie because you can tie in soccer. Correct. Uh, which I know is is antithetical to the yes. American experience. Um, however, so it, it's based on it's based on points. So so there are five, well four, four leagues in England, and and every country in Europe does this. Uh, where if you finish in, and it kind of depends on, <clears throat> it, I, I guess it's fairly consistent across the board. But if you're if you're in the bottom three of one league, you drop down to the league below you, and three teams uh, come up from the league that's below you to the to the new league. And so it would be it would be like if you finish last in the SEC, then <clears throat> next season you're playing in Conference USA. Conference USA. I was, I was trying not to slander somebody. Uh, but if you win Conference USA, then you get bumped up to the SEC. That's sort of what it was. So there's not this tanking. Like that that's sort of how that that that's how they got out of that. Okay. Because you stand to lose a ton. My favorite soccer team is is on the verge of of getting relegated. Um, like it could happen. So you lose a ton of money just from TV revenue if you get dropped out of the Premier League and down into that second division. Next question. I see now uh, that JJ Watt and his wife they have invested into a soccer team over in Europe, or I do believe it's England in particular. England, yeah. Yes. Burnley. Okay. Is this going to be the new thing that Ryan Reynolds and his friend were able to buy into a struggling soccer team and now have them moving up? And it's been this great story that's been documented. Is this going to be the new in vogue thing like it was for hip-hop artists to, to be minority owners in NBA franchises like 15 years ago? Maybe, uh, you know, because, I mean, everyone sees, you know, I mean, I don't know if you've seen Welcome to Wrexham. It is an absolute, it's an absolute delight. Um, and, and so, I, you know, I think that that was sort of the, the that was the first one. Uh, although, you know, people, Americans have been investing in soccer clubs for a long time. Like the minority owner in my favorite soccer team, which is Leeds United, uh, is actually sort of the, the business side of the San Francisco 49ers. Um, just because there's so much money that is at that, that is at stake, if you can if you can get your team that team into the Champions League, if you can get them promoted to the next league, like that's a pretty big return on investment. So I think I think a lot of it is, you know, like JJ Watt, like I'm sure he misses the competition of playing football. This is a this is a less stress on your body way of of being in sports in some way. I see. I see. Uh, did you did you appreciate that, Dawson? Go ahead, chop it up with James here. Did you like? What yeah, you no, to the I table? love that. I I think you're giving me a little too much credit on soccer. I don't follow anything outside of like World Cup soccer and the occasional like if there's a big storyline in the Premier League, but um, not as big. But I do I do respect it and like I I've learned to love the game a little more than I used to. 
I, I'm the I'm the guy that will if my favorite team is is playing on a, on a two at two o'clock on a Tuesday. I will not teach that day. I will, I, I'm, I'm changing the lesson. I'm changing the lesson plans. I, I will get up at six o'clock on a Saturday morning. Like I'm, I'm the guy that will watch whatever soccer game is on. Hello, class. We're going to talk about goalkeepers today. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. There. All right, James. Uh, quickly, I'm going to try to do something here. I'm going to try to name four English Premier League teams. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, Manchester United. That's one. Okay. Manchester City. That's two. Leeds, that's three. Chelsea, that's you got it. Oh, look at me! Leeds was previously mentioned in the segment. I think that's cheating, but <laughs> uh, you just named twenty percent of the Premier League. Well done. Right, I, I, but I don't understand why does Man- Why is there two Manchester's? It's a decent sized city. Oh, okay. All right. It's, it's, it goes back to the eighteen hundreds. New York rivalry, has a couple of teams. Okay, okay. I'm just asking. I'm just asking. I just, you know, once again, soccer's a whole new frontier for uh, for me. Uh, I, I tried to educate myself for the World Cup, and James helped me. We both uh, had the World Cup official sticker book and, and tried to learn players. I did not learn how to pronounce their names, but I did learn something. <laughs> so there, there was that. Uh, brother, enjoy your weekend, my friend. We'll talk to you next week, bud. Hey, have a good one. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day, who's now the favorite in the NBA playoffs? Right now, 40% of you say the Denver Nuggets. 35% say the Boston Celtics. 25% say, oh, there are no votes for Philadelphia. I'll say this about Denver. People have been openly critical of them not making playoff runs, including myself. It feels different this year, doesn't it? It, it, it just feels that Denver's different. And Murray's not even 100% yet, right? The longer they play, the more healthy he gets. And look, they play a brand of basketball a lot of people don't like. But it works. It's working and they're kind of a, almost like a throwback, especially with the center. Like I heard someone describe it the other day. You know, Jokic does everything like underneath the basket, right? His game is not above the rim type of game. But he's immensely efficient. The guy nearly averaged a triple double this year, like. At the center position. Yeah, I would I would encourage people, if you haven't watched a whole lot of Denver to this point, I think this is also the time of year where you're starting to bring the casuals in. Like, this is that yes. now we're gearing yes. up towards Conference the Conference semifinals, line. yeah. Like, Jokic does some things with the basketball that, A, also, I think if you're an old school guy who likes some of the, you know, classic, the way, you know, Magic and Larry saw the floor differently, had passes that just nobody else His saw. His passing is beautiful. He's unbelievable. And when he gets the ball in the post or, you know, around the free throw line or around the wing, like, he does some things. He's got moves. He's never covered. You know, it doesn't matter how much attention you give to him. 
So, like, I encourage people to watch Jokic. There's a reason he's won a couple MVPs in the last three years, and, like, it's it's special. Now, again, I've been right with you about Denver in the playoffs because I've just seen it too many times. It does feel different. I do want to see what happens in Game 3. The Chris Paul injury, I think, is killer to Phoenix because if you'll remember when when they brought over Durant and it was all this all these pieces moving into place at the very end, what I said, I the reason I thought Phoenix was the favorite was because I thought Chris Paul could could mold that together with his, you know, just his leadership, his ability to be a true point guard, take a step back when the offense isn't flowing and say, hold on, let's have a good possession he here. He is an absolute savant and without, when he gets to that point of playing point guard and getting everyone right. involved. And and if he if he's going to miss, you know, he's got a groin injury and uh, a guy his age, you know, that that's not uh, typically just a one-game thing. You know, I I think maybe he tries to gut through it. I don't know if you see him tonight, but their depth is also concerned for them. Yeah, if you don't, yeah, you're going to need something from campaign. You're going to need something from the other guys, and 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 like Denver has a chance, if especially if Chris doesn't play tonight or if he's very limited, which is what I expect to happen. You could put the foot on the throat if it's three zero. You're not coming back from three zero. I I do like Denver. It feels like maybe kind of like a little bit of a breakthrough season for them. Let's get to some comments. Hart says, my favorite to win it all is the Pelican. Oh, wait, with a sad walking gif. Ralph says, I'm going to go with the team that Brad Bohana bets on roll tight. LOL. We talked about this in the break. Alabama fires their coach because the big moron is having someone place humongous bets on college baseball on his own team for him in a ballpark in Cincinnati. By the way, Pete Rose, anyone? Of course it would be Cincinnati. And then they go out and crush Vanderbilt. They crushed him. Baseball, man. Got, you just got to love baseball. We covered some topics with James Yasko today, didn't we? We did. My man always delivers. We can do every anything with James. Ton says, yeah, I stopped caring when the Pels were done. Celtics, I guess. JPK, the OD. Nuggets, Celtics, final. Two of the Eppelgate underachieving franchises of the past couple of decades. It can't end in a tie, can it? And Joe just simply says, dubs. If it did end for a tie, you'd get one point for that in the Premier League. <laughs> Keep those votes coming on the poll question today. Can we talk briefly? We have a couple minutes here. About, Mil- about Yes, we do. Because we don't have a guest coming up at 730, so we do. Milwaukee fires their coach. What are we doing here? It's now the third or fourth coach that's won a world championship in like the five, last five or six years in the NBA that's been fired. Like, really? This is what we're doing? Like, are, are we the NHL here? Like, if you're telling me, look, he wasn't the perfect coach, I will agree to that. But, and I get under, but is it his fault Giannis got hurt? There are certainly some decisions that, that Bud made that weren't great in these playoffs. But, yeah, no, it's funny. A title used to buy you a few more years than it does now, right? And it does the, the NBA's making college football boosters look patient, which is, which is something that's impressive. They're and, just throwing away coaches like they're trash, even though they may have won you the Larry O'Brien trophy literally in the last well, few years. And the crazy thing about it to me is, and I guess that's why they're doing it, I think coaching has the, you know, maybe, I guess baseball, but 
coaching in the NBA has maybe the second least impact as far as like actual ability to di- be a difference maker. Like we think of, and we talk about all the time, like NFL coaches, like you, you, you are, you are calling plays that are now you call plays in basketball too, but you have to have the talent, right? So I don't even know how much it makes a difference. It's just crazy now that, well, and I guess the other thing too, is you, you're locked into these contracts with players to where it's such much more difficult. So when things don't go well, they go, well, let's, sh- you know, shake things up and see if we get a new voice in there. But I just don't know Coaching how much it matters. matters. Pop mattered for San Antonio. Phil Jackson mattered Certainly. for the Lakers and the Bulls. Okay. Michael Jordan didn't win a single title or even get to a, uh, a championship round before Phil Jackson arrived. Okay. So it matters. Now, those guys are master coaches. And I'm not by any stretch saying Budenholzer is on that level because he's not. I will like to point out this. Budenholzer won the title in 2021. He's now fired. Frank Vogel won the title in 2020 with the Los Angeles Lakers. He's been fired. And Nick Nurse, who won the title with the Toronto Raptors in 2019, has been fired. So three of the last four coaches that have won the Larry O'Brien Trophy have been fired. That's not great. I'm sorry, that's not great. If... And people go, well, look at the talent they have. Yeah, you're right. And did Bud make bad coaching decisions during the season? Yeah, they did. They also won 58 games. Do you think that's easy? Hey, Pelicans fan, do you think that's easy? Like, I get it. Milwaukee was down for a long time. They have a generational talent in Giannis. The Greek freak is special. Isn't Bud the guy that helped develop the Greek freak into a league MVP into maybe the best player in the league? Wasn't he the coach of him during this time? Right? And he gets shown the door. Frank Vogel, who else would have been able to coach that team with those divas and those demands and did so in the bubble where the world shut down? Shown the door. Frank Vogel didn't have any control over the roster construction or the lack of it with the Lakers. Show the door. Oh, Frank's the problem. Okay. Nick Nurse. It's not Nick's fault that the front office couldn't retain Kawhi Leonard. It's not Nick Nurse's fault that they had some guys on the roster that got old and they shipped them out. Like, like the easiest thing to do in sports is to blame the coach. It's the easiest thing to do. Oh, it's the coach's fault. Fire the coach. Got to get rid of the coach. He's the problem. Okay. Okay. Like, it's, it's, it's a lazy thing, and you, you talk to people in the NBA. By the way, you, his deal is still approximately $16 million left on it, so Milwaukee's going to be paying him not to coach, which I just love, by the way. Milwaukee also had some other things wrong with that team. The chemistry wasn't exactly the best this year, and there was other things with the roster construction that was a little off. Once again, the head coach is not part of the roster construction. He determines who maybe plays, but he's not the one that's signing the deals. He's not the one that decides to make trades. He's not the one that decides to give contract extensions or doesn't give contract extensions, is he? No. Not saying that Bud didn't deserve to be critical. They didn't deserve to make a decision on here. But the man brought the Bucks their first title in 50 years, and you threw him out like garbage. First title in 50 years, it's, and you throw them out like garbage. 
Nurse brings you Toronto's first title in professional sports in decades as well. Not just the Raptors, but decades as well. And these guys get discarded like they're garbage. Yeah, and you've got examples of it on, on both ends, too, that, that, that kind of play to it. I think in college football, I can think of two right away. Tulane had a coach in Willie Fritz who won two games. They went 2-10. and ten. They had a rash of unfortunate situations, and there was certainly some heat on him. Tulane stuck with him. They win 12 games. They win the Cotton Bowl. They have the best season since the 30s in their program's history. On the other end, TCU seems like the program's pretty stable. They fire their longtime coach, Gary Patterson, and Sonny Dykes takes him to the playoff in his first year. So, like, there's... But I again, I think that shows you that it's not just the reason. It's not just past failures leads to future failures or future success leads to past success. Like, and I think that's another. I don't. I don't need extra reasons to root for the Saints. They've been my team since I was a kid. But that's why you. Root, I, I root for a guy like Dennis Allen, who this, the team said, "Look, I know everybody in the world thinks we should fire him. We believe in our guy. We're going to give him another year. We're going to give him time." You like to see some of that rewarded, and uh, occasionally it does get rewarded. And we'll see if that happens this season. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, oh, we're going to talk a little LSU baseball. Preview that series against Auburn. Hear from Jay Johnson, the skipper of the Tigers, the number one ranked team in the country. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yeah, playing really well. Um, you know, returning Omaha team again. I think, um, you know, obviously winning two of three at South Carolina and putting themselves in position to sweep uh, with a one-run game on Sunday uh, obviously tells you their potential. Uh, swinging the bat about as good as anybody. Uh, really good lineup, really good top of the order. Um, you know, so we're going to have to pitch and defend well. Um, you know, Dale has thrown really good on Fridays. Um, you know, they have guys that certainly have really good stuff uh, out of the bullpen. And, yeah, I think it's a, another really good opponent. And I think, you know, once we get through all ten of these weekends, um, to me, they're all the same. You know, meaning uh, you have to play really well to win one, one game, let alone win a series, and that's what we'll have to do this weekend. It's Jay Johnson, LSU skipper, talking about this weekend's series on the Plains versus the Auburn Tigers slash War Eagle slash Plainsman. By the way, side note, uh, I will be supportive of wherever my daughter decides to go to college. Whether my daughter, Hattie, decides to go study dancing or she wants to be a theater major or she wants to be a scientist, a doctor, it does not matter what the little one wants to do. She can achieve whatever she wants to achieve, and I will be fully supportive of that, my wife and I. In addition, we will probably help pay for her college, Dawson. But I'm just going to go and throw it out there right now. Um, she will not be allowed to go to Auburn University, and that's that. And I just want to go and get that out of the way. She can go anywhere else in the SEC. She's just not allowed to go to Auburn. So there you go. I don't care if their campus is pretty or not. I don't care if nice people have gone there. Uh, that will not be allowed in the Parch household as long as I'm alive. So there we go. 
Uh, okay, now we get back on track. I digress. Auburn is playing better, right? They had a lull where they were terrible. Now they're playing a little bit better. They uh, took two or three against Mississippi State, including two crazy games that were 11-10 and 12-11. And, but really impressive was what they did last weekend. On the road in Columbia, South Carolina, against at that time the number two ranked team in the country, the South Carolina Gamecocks, they took two of three and then nearly got the sweep but lost the final game only by one run. So Auburn is playing better, and this is a team that went to the College World Series last year. So they have some experience. They're playing better. I still like LSU to win this series because – when you have the bats that they do, it's the best lineup in the country. <laughs> Even with not having any pitching behind Skeens, because they really don't. Now, can Christian Little figure it out? Can Coleman figure it out? Can those two guys maybe be guys that they can throw that can get them five innings? That's all they need, by the way. When I say I'm worried about LSU being able to win a national title... It's not saying that I need someone to go out there and be another All-American for them. They just need somebody that can go out there and eat up innings. Five innings is all they need. Right now, they're still trying to find who that is. Could it be Little? I think it's probably more than likely Coleman. Because the bullpen, let's be honest, is kind of garbage. They don't have anybody on the back end they trust. None. So they need another guy that can go out there and eat up and give them five innings of solid pitching. If they can find that guy that can be consistently their guy to give them five innings, they can win the whole thing. Honestly. Barring injury, of course. The lineup is that good. They may have what many consider to be the greatest player in LSU baseball history. I don't think Dylan Cruz is there yet. I still think that's that distinction belongs to Ben McDonald. The best hitter I've ever seen at LSU belongs to Todd Walker. But Dylan is close. Probably need a trip to Omaha, though, to go ahead and solidify that status. For me, that's just me. But this team is phenomenal. The lineup is phenomenal. And a guy that has been stepping up for them in a big way has been Hayden Travinsky. He has been absolutely incredible, and Jay Johnson talked about what his backup catcher has been able to do in spots throughout the season. He's been phenomenal. I mean, again, uh, he's been beat up the last two years. I mean, I mean, he frankly got beat out because he couldn't play in the fall and wasn't healthy really as he was trying to get some reps going into the season. And the other two guys are really good players and, and present different skills you know, to his credit, uh, he has maintained being a great team guy, um, handled it as, as well as you possibly can, and um, was improving. Uh, literally, I watch every swing of, of batting practice, and it's like, man, that looks pretty good to me right now. Like, that's, that's not off balance or long or super pitchable. It's balanced. It's tight. Um, it will translate into the game. And then we had a conversation um, a few weeks back, I would probably say – maybe right after South Carolina, and I just said, hey, I can see you're improving. I think you're going to start to get a few opportunities now. 
and uh, a few of them were pinch hits. I know he had a pinch hit double uh, the first game against Nichols. Um, had some good walks and, and moved the offense, and then um, felt good about starting him against Ole Miss in game two. Had a really good game there, both behind the plate, key RBI late, and then obviously the big homer. And then um, last week against Nichols, he started. I don't think he got any hits, but he took you know a bunch of really good at bats and threw a guy out. So um, I think he typifies our team. Like he, he didn't make it about himself; he made it about the team, and kept working and improving. And now he's in position to really help the team, and he's going to continue to play and, and help the team. When you got a guy like that that was just rotting on the bench, he could easily have shut it down didn't kept working at it kept working to get better and he's been a big contributor for them as guys have gotten injured or if Jay needs a pop coming off the the bench that's huge once again their lineup's the best in the country and then they got a guy like Travinsky that can come in and belt three run home runs for you off the bench not too many other teams have that it is absolutely phenomenal Hey, shout out to our friends over at Tiger Bait, hooking us up with the audio of Jay Johnson's press conference this week. Greatly appreciate that. We got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and Company, we'll update the poll question of the day and wrap up our number two. That's next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I have a trivia question for you. You got trivia for me. Yes. All right, let's do it. So, uh, the Astros, as you, as we heard James Jasko mention, they called up J.P. France, something I hinted at happening um, earlier in the week, thought it might happen. Um, I'd like you to guess which significant figure shares a high school alma mater with J.P. France. Is it you? No. <laughs> Close, though. <laughs> Close? Close? Yeah. Um... I don't know. Drew Brees. No, the original Iceman himself. Your dad? Yes, sir. Archbishop Shaw High School. Oh, look at that. There we go. We got a pop shot. When is pop going to come on the program? You're supposed to be know. working on that. Yeah, well, he's been out of town for like two mm-hmm. weeks, essentially. He's just getting back settled in, so uh, okay. we'll, we'll get to work on it. All right. All right. That, still needs to, that still needs to happen. I hope you do know that. I'm not saying your employment status depends on it. I'm just saying it would be helpful. <laughs> we'll move it up a couple of notches on the priority list. Oh, man. Keep voting on our poll question of the day, by the way. We asked you, who is now the favorite in the NBA playoffs? 41% of you say the Nuggets. 36% say the Boston Celtics. 23% say other. No votes yet for the Philadelphia 76ers. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them through the final hour of today's show, which is also the final hour of the week. 
Hour two, done. Hour number three, we'll talk all things LSU with Dylan Sanders. That's next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Eight oh three has arrived, which means it's the final hour of today's RP3 and company, which means it's the final hour of the week. But not to worry. We're going to finish strong. We're going to deliver for you out there listening, whether in your car, your truck, on Alexa, Google Home, or on the free new game mobile app, which, by the way, is brand new. It's now your one-stop shop for all things The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Simply download the free mobile app today on your Apple or Android device. Just search The Game Southwest Louisiana. That's The Game Southwest Louisiana. That way, no matter where you are, you can listen to The Game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Coming up half an hour from right now, Dan McDonald, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer and the play-by-play man for Raging Cajun Athletics for ESPN+. We'll talk Cajuns baseball and Cajun softball with Dan coming up in a half an hour. But right now, it's time for us to talk all things LSU with the LSU sports writer for Go247. Dylan Sanders joins us now. Dylan, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Uh, good morning. I'm doing good. It's a, it's a Friday, and it's, you know that just means great things. It does mean great things because the weekend is here. It's also Cinco de Mayo. So I hope you behave yourself today. I, it's also my brother's birthday. Oh, so there's no chance you'll behave it. yourself then. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, your, your request is going over my head. <laughs> All right, so uh, I want to start off, before we dive into baseball and little spring football, uh, once again, the library versus ops building has become a hot-button issue. And yeah. I, I, I always understand why this is. Uh, and the facts are, right, the football ops building was built by donated money. The Tiger Athletic Foundation spearheaded the way. Tyron Matthew chipped in a, a significant amount of money. Former players did as well. And I get the optics of it looking bad when the library, which has been disarray for at least five years now, has yet to yeah. get repaired, has yet to get fixed. Like, I just look at the, the stuff with the library and I go, can't they just get a construction crew out there for like four days and fix the library? Why isn't it happening? Obviously, two different sources of revenue or, or, or funding, right? Personal funding for the football operations building, which is state-of-the-art. It's phenomenal. The library's part of campus, and that's funded and has to be fixed by the actual university. As someone who student and works covering LSU, what do you make of the whole brouhaha yet again? Um, I think the football ops versus the library is a, is an odd one because it because it is different sources of revenue. The conversation that's more worth having, uh, in my opinion, is PMAC renovations versus 
the library, uh, like, if you want to have, like, a conversation, because Mulkey is fighting for state funding for the PMAC, and it's not going to be athletic funding. And the argument could be, like, the state money could be used to improve the campus, because it's not just the library that's in disarray. There are plenty of actual day-to-day, like, buildings where you have to go for class or have to go to take tests that are also in terrible condition. Um, right, and like, the difference yeah, there, Dylan, half is half because... the buildings I go to on a daily basis are run down on, the, on campus. And it, in, in, in my opinion, it is an embarrassing look for, for the school. But also, the PMAC is in bad condition. Everything, LSU needs to be renovated in general. There's a lot of stuff that needs to change. But to your point, and for those of you who don't know, the PMAC is actually not owned by LSU. The Pete Maravich Assembly Center is owned by the state, correct? Um, I believe so, yeah. So that's where the issue is going to come in. Is mm-hmm. And Kim has been very vocal that she believes that there needs to be wholehearted renovations made there for the Pete Maravich Assembly Center. And, you know, she's going to try to politic to get those renovations. And I agree. The PMAC needs to be renovated. But also, as anyone that spent any time on campus, I am not a LSU alum. I'm not even an LSU student. But I've spent time on campus and know that the conditions of some of the buildings on campus need desperate renovation. So that's going to be an yeah, interesting battle. that haven't been changed for 50 years. Right. Like, it's just bad. How do students and how do people on campus feel about this issue? Um, most non-sports fans would tell you that they, that they desperately need um, renovations for, for classrooms. And most people who go to class every day will tell you that they need – that like the school just needs more money, like better parking, better better buildings, better everything. Like there's just a lot of – a lot of changes that need to happen um, before I think we spend more money, non-donated money on athletics. I'm, I mean, I get, I'm as a student, I'm a little bit more biased, uh, and I mean, I won't even see any of these changes by the time I'm gone. But I just think that as someone who's gone through it every day, it's bad. It's in a bad condition. It's in. I think the school, like the state, if anything, is sending money to LSU. It needs to be for better education. And I think it also exposes, Dylan, the larger issue with funding for colleges in the state. Because, look, once again, the operations building for football would have not been built if it wasn't for private donations, right? So yeah. it's it's yeah. not as if the state is spending money and I think that's been the the thing that's been misconstrued in all of this from people outside is that, no, the football ops building was built because the Tiger Athletic Foundation paid for it. That's a private entity, a fundraising group that decided to spend money on that. And so the state's not spending money on, on, <laughs> on, on anything, which is a discussion for uh, another day. We're talking with Dylan Sanders. He's an LSU sports reporter for Go247. He's also an LSU student. He's in the Manship School. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. All right, brother, let's shift gears. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, Kim Mulkey briefly. Already bagged one recruit out of the transfer portal, the young lady from Louisville, who is a trash-talking NIL machine, which she's going to fit in perfect 
with this program. Um, <laughs> but they're not done, right? Uh, who else is on their radar, and who else do you think they're going to try to lock up out of the transfer portal to try to run this thing back and win another title? Well, the name to watch right now, I'm sure there are other people, but the one that they're focused on, no one fans should be focused on, is Anissa Moreau from DePaul. Um, she set her, her big three out um, of USC, of both the USC's actually, the one in California and the one in Carolina and LSU, uh, made up her, her final three. She made her USC, USC visit. She made her LSU visit last weekend, and she was scheduled to go to South Carolina this weekend, but there were rumors that LSU made such an impression on her that she wasn't even going to take the South Carolina trip. Don't know how that has panned out yet. Um but it, things look good with her, and if you get her, um, like I don't know how you could even expect to lose a game next year. Like she, you're, you're, you're basically if you get her, you're getting two Angel Reese's. She's a little bit shorter than Angel Reese, but has the same like thirty points a game, twelve rebounds a game, uh, and obviously that was playing at DePaul, but she has the talent to do that in, in the SEC. So not only is this team going to be better on the top end next year, uh, I think they'll be deeper as well. So it's just it's scary for non-LSU fans, but also uh, very exciting if you're a fan of LSU. But also they're going to be hated. Don't don't expect uh, the mass public to uh, enjoy LSU basketball. They'll be the villain. Well, we already saw no that uh, with their trip to the final four Dylan you and I talked about this in Dallas it was already happening then so it's only going to get worse especially if they continue to be great year in year out uh where do we stand with Matt McMahon in in his recruiting he seems to be very active he seems to improve the talent level what's still left to be done for the LSU men um you know the men it's hard to be worse than last year um but I think just continuing to add uh, positive veteran talent that'll actually because they, they've retained some of the young guys um, and I, I just think adding more consistent scoring through the, the transfer world they, they've done a good job of hitting the guys from in-state that went to other places and performed well and then bringing them back like Jalen Cook I think is going to be an incredible addition but uh, yeah it, it's just continuing to add more veteran talent. I don't think they're there yet, but I don't think they're that far off from at least being a competent team. All right, let's talk about the baseball team. Mm -hmm. Number one ranked team in the country, best lineup in the country, not even, it's not even close. And they have a guy that could go number one overall as a pitcher. And Skeens has been phenomenal. But as of right now... We were talking about about the other day how it's insane... Uh, that Tommy White is the third best player on this team. <laughs> Which is, look, they got guys that are batting seven and eight that would be the three, four hitters on most teams, right? So they, they have a wealth of riches in the lineup, and they have a great starting pitcher as well. But as of it stands right now on May the 5th, they don't have anyone else that they can really count on to eat up innings. And I say, Dylan, if they can find one of those guys, maybe it's Coleman, maybe they can get Christian Little to kind of turn things around. If they can get one of those guys, because they don't trust the bullpen, they have no reason to trust the bullpen. The bullpen's been banged up and it's been bad. 
But if they can get one of those other starting pitchers just to be a guy they consistently can count on to eat up five innings, they could win the national championship. If they can't find that guy, that could possibly cost them when they get to Omaha. What do you say? Um, I think, yeah, definitely you're waiting on that one guy to really answer the answer the call. And the thing is they have a bunch of guys who can, like Thatcher Hurd can. Uh, you mentioned Christian Little, Javen Coleman coming back. Blake Money has had a couple of good outings. Uh, Nate, uh, Nate Ackenhausen is like the, the in-between guy that's done really good. Uh, he used to, uh, Jonathan used to love Riley Cooper, but he's had a, a down year. Like ever, it, it's just, uh, they have a bunch of guys on the precipice of being good in the bullpen, but they always seem to shoot themselves in the foot at some point. Uh, but the thing is, the offense is so good that you can kind of, they haven't lost. Uh, an SEC series, they tied the one. Uh, so if you can get the offense to do good enough night in and night out, you're going to win most series just off of that. So they just need to find one or two more guys in the bullpen that can, you know, so they don't have to score 12 runs a game. They can, um, and they might score 12 runs a game in the tournament. They're just that good on offense. But you you want to have a little bit more ease. Uh, in, in the in the game, correct because baseball is the great equalizer in that regard. Where you'll have an off night, and anything can happen in a baseball game, especially when you get to yeah. Omaha. So, uh, I still like their chances. I think they'll easily get through a regional. I think they'll I think they'll win a super regional, even though they may get tested. Uh, for me, my, my my one thing, my trepidation with this team is: do they have enough pitching? to win the whole thing once they get to Omaha uh, because you can't pitch skeins every day. Like, you just can't. So somebody else is going to have to step up. And you're right. They got guys that have the talent to do so. They just haven't proven consistently that they are capable of doing so as of right now. But we still have about three weeks or so of the regular season and then, of course, the conference tournament. So, Dylan, appreciate your time, brother. Thank you so much. Uh, tell the folks how they can follow you on social media and where they can go to read all your great work. Yeah, you can read out everything we put out on Go 24-7. Uh, Go spelled the correct way. Um, <laughs> and you can follow me on uh, Twitter at Dilly Sanders, like the Bud Light commercial, Dilly Dilly. And also, don't dust your crawfish. Oh, the man says don't dust the crawfish. <laughs> he just had to go out with that. Dylan, thanks for the time, bud. Thank you. Bye. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Alexa and the game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. Poll question of the day on the Cinco de Mayo edition of RP3 and Company. Who is now the favorite in the NBA playoffs? 36% say the Denver Nuggets. 36% say the Boston Celtics. 24% say other. 4% say the Philadelphia 76ers. Robert on the 
Twitter says, I'll take the Nuggies. Nuggies. You know, that rhymes with Snuggie. Did you ever have a Snuggie? I did own one Uh um, with my high school. Like, it was a high school thing. I think they sold it as a fundraiser thing. Mm, I don't know if I ever wore it. Are you being honest? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I ever mm-hmm. actually. I just. I don't know. I wasn't a real fan of that. Uh, that whole concept. The whole concept. The whole concept is it's a blanket that you wear. No, I get it. I just. I never felt the need to wear a blanket. I just. If I needed a blanket, I. I used one. I just didn't feel. The I'm need not to... a big blanket guy. Like my wife, we 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 battle. So when we when we're in bed, she needs to be like under the sheet and then a blanket and a comforter and like she wants to be bundled up as if she's an Eskimo in an igloo. I'm the type of guy that sometimes I'll sleep without a blanket or a sheet at all. Or just give me a sheet and I'm fine. And usually I got half a leg out of the bed anyway. So I don't need to be under 800 layers. So yeah, Snuggie's not... Not my jam. That's not my jam. Was it that much of a desire for you to bring that in that you went with that it rhymed with the word of an NBA team? It popped in my head. I tried to get you to come on the air to talk about something that you were passionate about off the air, and you were like, "No, I don't want to do that." So then you opened up the door for me to bring up. No, that's all good then. (laughs) He doesn't want to bring it up. He was very fired up about something. Maybe he'll calm down and we'll be able to bring it to the table next week. Is that a possibility? Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll think over it. All right, bud. All right. <laughs> Some comments over on Facebook on our poll question of the day. I hope it's Nuggets versus Warriors. Hope Nuggets win it all. That would be the Western Conference Finals, obviously, if it was a Nuggets-Warriors. That does intrigue me, that matchup. Denver's physicality. You know Murray can get you buckets. How would Denver defend against Golden State? Like I, I like that idea as a Western Conference Finals, to be honest with you. Brian on Facebook says Celtics still. Still the Celtics. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well. All right, bud. Microphone's yours. What do you want to talk about? You got upset because I thought a Snuggies popped in my head and I wanted to have a discussion there. Obviously, obviously, I've ruined your day and uh, you'll need to uh, somehow process it. Uh, What happened, what occurred live on the air. So uh, I'm giving you the microphone. Yeah, no, um, I, I don't have anything specific. We could go more Premier League if you wanted. <laughs> I do think you oversold my soccer um, fandom. I, I, I don't follow. Anything compared to me is well, fair, fair. a lot. I do get into it for the World Cup. And have I, you I ever that. been to a soccer match in person? Uh, Not high school. I was going to say the Yellow Jackets made a run to state semis my senior year. I was there to support the boys. There it is. Some of my best friends uh, actually came over here to. They played Holy Savior Menard in the uh, quarterfinals and destroyed them. What a what a performance from the Yellow Jackets that day. <laughs> they were so good in the attacking third. Are you done? Um, no, I've never been to a prof- – I almost went to a Dynamo game when I was in Houston one time. Okay. But the right. timing with the Astros, it didn't line up correctly. Yeah, you tried it, yeah. I've been to two, believe it or not. Years ago, 1997, 98, I was living in Illinois. I was working at a call center, well, a telemarker. And a buddy of mine that I worked with was big into soccer. And he's like, hey, man, you want to go see some soccer in St. Louis? 
And I was like, eh. He's like, I'll drive. I go, all right. <laughs> so that's, that's that's what it, he was driving. He was going to pay for the gas because St. Louis is only like an hour and 45 minutes from where I lived in Illinois. So it was always easy to go to St. Louis or go to Indianapolis for that matter. So go over and it is the uh, the Americans. It's the U.S. national team. And they're play, playing a friendly versus Paraguay. And I'd never seen soccer besides, like, you know, watching, like, you know, some Pele highlights on, you know, ABC's Wide World of Sports or something like that as a kid. And I came away immensely impressed. They had the guy who's now Alexi, uh, the big guy with the long red hair back in the day, who's now an analyst for soccer. He was on the American team. He was part of it, and I came away impressed, and I was like, wow, these guys are real athletes. These guys are warriors. They never take any time off. They're constantly running. I came away immensely impressed. Do you know how much soccer I watched after that? Zero. There we go. So, <laughs> flash, flash forward. Many years later, I'm working in Funrow. Ironically, obviously, that's where UL's playing a three-game series this weekend in baseball. And the World Cup's going on. And then I'm like, okay, so I'll start watching the World Cup. I get into it a little bit, right, with some, some co-workers of mine. And then a buddy of mine, he says, hey, Manchester United's B team – I thought you were about to say you went to a World Cup match, and I was going to be floored, but I think we're getting back to where I thought the story was going to be. So Manchester United's B team played the MLS All-Stars at Reliant, NRG, whatever it's called, in Houston. And that was one of the coolest things I've ever been to. The atmosphere, Landon Donovan was there, and you know they just had gotten done with the World Cup. So you had all that momentum. And it got loud up in there, and not only for the game, for the match, but I forget the young man's name. He plays for the Mexican national team. He's a big star over there. He was on Manchester United's B team. He was like 18 or 19 years old, and they inserted him into the game. In the entire stadium went ballistic. Like It's one of, been the, one of the loudest things I've ever witnessed at a live sporting event. The crowd, obviously you're in Houston, Lots of Mexican immigrants in Houston. They went absolutely bananas for him when he got inserted into the match. So I've done that. So there you go. That's, yeah, that, that's, that's And I was actually talking to you about the break, and I, I do kind of want to get into it more. I used, There was a big thing in my high school, by the way. I, all jokes aside, like we did go and we supported him and stuff, but there was always the baseball versus soccer, like baseball versus soccer. And we always like laughed at each other. There was always a... A conversation about who would be able to compete more in that sport if the baseball team had to play them in soccer or if the soccer team had to play us in baseball we would have destroyed them in baseball it wouldn't have been close we would have had a chance in soccer that was the whole conversation like it was funny it went back and forth over and over again but I have like tried to get into it more and there is something there's a couple things I really like about soccer the main thing is that it's a beautiful situation and I talk a lot of times about how too, everyone's too result-oriented Soccer's like the perfect example of that because if you're result-oriented, you'll miss almost so much of it because there's so many things that take place in a game. There's so many different things about passes and formations and defensive alignments and goalkeeping and speed and talent that plays itself out within two or three goals over a 90-minute stretch. And I know that's why soccer gets made fun of because there's only two or three goals within it. But I think that's what's beautiful about it is so much is going on, but it can be so cloudy and so muddy because you don't always get the result. And teams can be outplayed for 80 out of the 90 minutes and give up a fluky goal and lose the game. And so I actually like that about soccer because I think it's 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 like one of the more beautiful things. And again, 
obviously, I'm not the first person that's seen something interesting in soccer. It's kind of a pretty popular sport worldwide. Um, it but, is the global game, yes. Yeah, and also, I do also love sports that come on at obscure times. Because if <laughs> I'm struggling to sleep... So, like, a 6 a.m. soccer match from the English Premier League that comes on on a Sunday morning intrigues me. That's why that's part of the reason I like watching F1 sometimes when I get up on, early on a Sunday morning. Now that I have a ridiculous sleep schedule with the way this job works, sometimes I wake up earlier than I would normally wake up on the weekends, and I might have some uh, F1 to watch or some Premier League soccer. So there you go. You weren't, you didn't ask for it, but you got English Premier League, Formula One racing, and just generic soccer talk here on RP3 and company. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> We'll try to get the show back on track after this timeout. Dan McDonald, he is the ESPN Plus play-by-play man for Raging Cajun Athletics. We'll talk softball and baseball with the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer next, right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, the final guest of today's show final guest of this week here in rp3 and company is the louisiana sports hall of famer the man who is the play-by-play voice for espn plus broadcast of raging cajun athletics and one of the best guys in the business dan mcdonald joins us now dan good morning to you brother how are you my friend that sounded very final <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like something bad is going to happen very soon which... <laughs> no no, 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 nothing bad is going to happen, my friend. Nothing bad is going to happen. So, softball team wraps up the league title yet again. And last night's kind of methodical win over ULM. I know that there is a sect of the fan base that is really hoping that they win a regional this year, is really hoping they go on to the Supers because the standard of excellence with the program is such. But it's still always impressive to be able to win 40 wins in a season and win a regular season title, right? I mean, I think we downplay it a little too much, but it's still significant. Well, we're spoiled to success in that program, and I mean spoiled to run away success. Uh, after last night, they now Sunbelt's been offering softball for 23 years, counting the first year when they really didn't have a regular season. They just played a tournament and then not counting the COVID year. Uh, and the Cajuns have won the championship, regular season championship, 20 of those 23 years. Um, you know, they've, they've won over 40 games, 24 consecutive years now. And, you know, all they have to do is win one out of these last two against ULM, and they will have won their 80th consecutive Sunbelt series going back over a decade. I mean, that's that's the kind of success that – just doesn't happen in college athletics. I mean, in in any sport you pick, uh, it's a uh, it's it's remarkable what they've been able to do and been able to do it on a consistent basis. Yeah, we're spoiled to having that kind of success. This year's team 
Jerry made sure to make it a point of emphasis to schedule as tough as he, he could. Some services say they have the fourth toughest schedule in the country. Others say maybe five. It's a brutal schedule, and he even added Baylor and Texas A&M in midweek games in the middle of conference play. Do you believe that approach this season in particular is going to help pay off and get this team over the hump a little bit and get into a super regional round? Well, it's hard to know. I know that, um, you know, first of all, it's it's great if you can, I think the percentage out there that about 80% of the teams that host regionals advance to super regionals. Correct. And this was a type of schedule that if they had, you know, a modicum of success against, it was set up for them to host a regional round. Now, did they do enough? To get there, well, the RPI says they did. The RPI says that they're number 10. The poll says they're number low 20s, 24, I think, in the ESPN poll. Uh, the RPI, yeah, you're going to host a regional. The poll, not so much. What do people look at? Uh, you know, that's up to the committee. Uh, but they're going to look at the schedule they played, which, I mean, you know, I don't know if they could play, you know, they say they're fourth in the strength of schedule. You know, I don't think there's a lot of argument that some way or another they're in the top five. They played UCLA. They played Oklahoma State, Florida State, Arkansas, Florida, LSU. Uh, and you mentioned Baylor and Texas A&M just a couple of weeks ago, right in the middle of conference play. Um, they played a good enough schedule. If they had had, oh, I don't know, one or two more wins against all those teams, I think they'd be a shoe in to host a regional. Um, you know, as it stands, it looks like, you know, if, if people look more at the polls, I think, than they will, and they're going to look at the bias to the Power Five conferences, uh, I think they're going to be a strong number two seed somewhere. They're just going to have to play their way out of a regional to get to a super regional. And you get to a two out of three, I think they prove they're good enough that anything can happen in a super regional format. Do they need to win the Sunbelt Conference tournament to ensure that they do host a regional, or do you think it's not even down to that? Uh, I, I'm still, you know, I'm still up in the air whether they can host or not. I keep looking at that poll, and I, I look at too many people, even on that committee, that aren't going to go straight by RPI. If they were at a Power Five conference uh, with a number ten RPI, I'd say they were a shoe in to host a regional. Right now, I'm not so sure, uh, just because. They're, they're the outlier. They're that one team out there that all of these other, all the power conferences look at this and say, you know, how, how are they that good? Um, you know, I think it's still very much, still much a bubble team as far as, um, as far as hosting a regional. Obviously, winning the conference will help. Uh, but I think even if they do that, it's still not a done deal. Maybe maybe I'm being overly pessimistic. Maybe I've been hanging around Kevin Foot too long. But it's uh, you know, it's you know, I think it's still very much up in the air. At the end of the day, whether they host or they don't, and I know a lot of the fans really are clamoring for them to host a regional, and I get it. But at the end of the day, the goal is to win a regional. Period. It doesn't matter if you're hosting or if you're on the road for it. And do you believe this team has what it takes with the way they've been playing, with the roster construction, to be able to do that breakthrough and finally win a regional under Jerry Glasgow? I don't think there's any question they have the ability to do it. Will they do it? You know, that's that's up in the air. They've, they've had some lulls this year at times. 
Uh, but that happens with any team. You play 56 games, that's going to happen. If they play well and they get the type of pitching that they've been getting and just and get some hits along the, the line, they don't have to hit it like mad like they have with, against some of their teams this year. They just have to be, like you said about last night's game, workmanlike was a, a term that I I thought came to mind when they were won last night's game. If they do that against a, you know, some really good teams, either here or at somebody else's regional, I don't think there's any question they can get to that final 16. And again, you get to that point, it's just a two out of three series. And, and they have the pitching to win a two out of three series against just about anybody. Who presents them the biggest challenge for the conference tournament? Uh, I still think it's South Alabama. Marshall's going to be the number two seed because of this really odd seeding format that they have where the seeds come out of the best team in the East and the best team out of the West are the top two seeds. Even though nowhere in America, nowhere on their website does it list the standings broken down by division. You know, it, it only that only exists in the rules for the bracket, which is insane. I think another uh, black eye for the Sun Belt on that. Because if I was South Alabama, I'd be pretty mad because you know I don't know if I even knew about that rule going into it. But now South Alabama is going to be the three seed. I just think they're better than Marshall. I don't think there's any question. Anybody that looks at the teams, I think they're better. Uh, I still think they pose the uh, the the biggest threat to them and. The way that the bracket falls, if it falls, um, those are your one, two, three, and seeds. So Marshall and South are going to be on one side of the bracket. Uh, I think South Alabama is going to come out of that side. If the Cajuns can win their two games, I think those are the two teams that are going to be in the finals. And I think it'll be another great game. We're talking with Dan McDonald, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, and the man who's the play-by-play voice for the Raging Cajuns ESPN Plus broadcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, let's shift gears. Let's talk about the baseball team. Uh, they've lost five of six Sunbelt Conference Series, yet in that same stretch, they could have won a couple of those series. Also, they beat the number one ranked team in the country, and they beat one of the teams ranked in the top ten during that stretch as well. What do you make of Matt Deggs' team as we come down the home stretch here in the last couple of weekends? I, I, I still think there's a lot of questions on this team. Uh, they they haven't really hit consistently with in scoring opportunities with runners on base. Uh, their their numbers there are just not good if you look at the analytics. Uh, and and their pitching has been up and down. They've had some great outings and they've had some that have not been so great. And yet somehow they're twenty nine and seventeen and they've got a winning record in the conference. Uh, you know, and I think they do it with. But one, they do it with grit. Two, I think they do it by when they get the opportunity, not so much with their hitting, but they can create some chaos for teams. You know, they run, they hit and run, they run and hit, they bunt it, they play old-fashioned, you know, small ball. I think they do that part pretty well. Uh, and that's, you know, that's why they've won 29 games already this year. Now, that does that mean, you know, that they're going to, you know, win these last three series? Well, you know, the jury's still out. You know, people expect them to go play well at ULM this weekend. Uh, there'll be people that'll be disappointed if they don't sweep. I think that's kind of unrealistic. But um, they've got two tough series after that. They'll host Texas State, and then they'll go to Southern Mississippi. Uh, they've got two really, really good teams in those last two weekends. I think that makes this weekend series even more important. 
what do you make of this weekend series? Because obviously, look, ULM is a fascinating team in a lot of ways. They gave up 30. <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. Is, is, that's one word you can right? use. They, they, this is a team that the last couple weekends has given up some historic numbers in, in games, right? 35 runs last week, 25 the weekend before. But they also won. They could have won one of those games as well. Right, The Friday night game, they looked like they were going to win, and they let it slip through their hands. And they're should 16 have won and, the Friday night game. Yeah, they should have won the Friday night game. But this this team's 16-29, and 29, Dan, but they've beaten Mississippi State in Starkville, and they've gotten wins over some quality opponents throughout the season, including beating Louisiana Tech as well. So I don't know what to make of ULM. You expect the Cajuns to go in there and handle business, but uh, – you know, what challenges do the Warhawks present? Well, if they were all combined in one human being, I'd say he was bipolar because they've they've managed to do, like you mentioned, so many things this year. It seems like they always manage to grab a game somewhere in a series. You know, they'll win one, and then they will lose one in horrendous fashion. Uh, it's, um, you know, I do think that they're, they're a little <laughs> – this, I think, is an understatement. They're a little short pitching-wise when they get down into the depth of the staff. But I think their top-line guys are, are actually pretty decent. They can get people out, and they prove that they can do that against pretty good teams. Um, if you get really deep in their bullpen, I think the Warhawks are in trouble there. And I think one thing also is they're a lot like the Cajuns. They, they, don't, they don't score runs a lot of times when they have the opportunities. They don't hit for a lot of power, um, and I think that that's one thing that hurts them. But they also are not as good, I don't think, as UL in manufacturing runs. Uh, and that's where I think they get hurt sometimes in close games. But somehow they always manage, they've always managed to make it close. They should have won one last week. They should have t- taken two out of three the week before. Um, it's it's a it's a team that's you know it's a kind of scary team especially if you go in and you're expected to win you know uh, a, a lot a lot can happen in this kind of series. There's such a logjam in the standings, Dan, for baseball, where the Cajuns right now could still finish as the third best team in the league, or they could finish in 11th and miss the conference tournament. Do you believe that Matt Diggs' squad will make the conference tournament in Montgomery? Oh, I think that they will. I, I think that they're going to go up and win. You know, I think they'll win two out of three in Monroe. You know, they have a chance to sweep. Sure, they do. But I think that they're going to win enough down the stretch where they they will get in. And you know, they proved last year you get into the tournament and and anything can happen. Um, you know, they'll they'll be going to Alabama when to uh, in Montgomery. I really think with a almost like a chip on their shoulder because I think that they all believe that they're better than what their record says, especially their conference record. And, you know, and who who knows what the uh, the, the betting books will be doing in Alabama during that week. But it's, uh, you know, it's, oh. if, uh, if, if, if somebody, if a pitcher decides to get scratched, you know, we'll, we'll, we will be watching the betting lines uh, in earnest. But, yeah, I, I think that they will. I think that they – I think they're good enough, they're scrappy enough, that they're going to find a way to win enough to, to get to Montgomery. Dan, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy the calls this weekend, my friend, and we'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. There was Little Vainant. There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo. Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, poll question of the day who is now the favorite in the NBA playoffs now that we got a couple games in all the conference semifinals has that changed your perception 38% of you say it's the Boston Celtics which will not make Kevin Foote happy 34% say the Denver Nuggets 25% say other 3% say the Philadelphia 76ers thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day today thank you to all who also commented as well we appreciate you making us part of your morning I want to thank our guest, James Yasko from the Lima Time Time Podcast. Not only did we talk Houston Astros baseball, we also talked English Premier League soccer. Dylan Sanders from Go247, talking LSU. And of course, Dan McDonald, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, to talk all things Raging Cajun softball and baseball. Great show, great week. We'll be back on the airwaves again on Monday, 6 to 9. For the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow, a.k.a. D-Lo, I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again on Monday. But until then, be safe out there, be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.